Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly show where we talk about our favorite comic books and graphic novels. I'm your host, Dallas. And today I am joined by one of our favorite cartoonists here on the show, Jeff Smith. How's it going, Jeff? Hey, hey, Dallas. How are you, man? I'm good. I am so excited to have you back covering your bone books, talking with you about Tukey. They've been some of my favorite experiences here on the show. And today we're talking about your college comic strips rose a prequel to bone for those that don't know oh it's thorn thorn i'm so sorry i'm so sorry thorn i got i got crossed thorn the prequel to bone all right we're all excited (laughs) i am very excited what (laughs) that was the prequel (laughs) yes what can you tell people about it was um thorn Well, it's basically uh, the comic strip I did in college, which I did in a daily newspaper. It was like it was the Lantern, the OSU student newspaper. It was a daily newspaper. It was read by fifty thousand people a day. It was a it was a really great experience, a great opportunity, and I did Thorn, which was basically a proto run through of Bone uh, mm-hmm. every day for three years for for this for this very picky and uh, student level audience. And I, I had a great time. I learned a lot. I I did things that made people laugh. It was fairly popular. It was actually very popular. I just don't remember it that way. Yeah. Um, I did things that got me in trouble. I got in real trouble a couple of times. Um, and, and I developed characters that were very, ended up being very important later for the Bone comic strip. Uh, Grandma Ben, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the red dragon, this two key sheeting rat creatures. Uh, that was all very, very crucial to the puzzle. So it was really fun. And not only do I reprint all three years of the comic strip, but I talk about that development of bone from the time I was five years old, all mm-hmm. the way up through high school, pre-college, college, and then the decision uh, to finally go into the, comic book direct market that's all covered in this 300 page book that we're we just did a kickstarter on that i'm really excited for that part like the strips themselves are going to be amazing but i i love the story of how things get made my question for you returning to your work from college what were you most proud of young jeff for and how do you feel like you've grown the most since making those strips I'm going to answer the second one first. Okay. An unshakable idea that the comic strips were terrible, that they were just terrible. Nobody ever needs to see them. They were just my, I was just practicing. And uh, I, but I get asked about it a lot. And even my own. My own staff, uh, Tom, uh, Tom got to do a thorn collection for a long, long time. And we find I finally gave and I had to read, you know, all, all, all three years of the I'm really surprised it was not 
all what I remember. It was, it was way better. It's not boned. By the time I did bone, I had learned a lot and I got very, very good at storytelling. And I didn't have that back then, but I did know how to, I did know how to tell jokes. I knew how to talk about uh, things that were interesting and going on in the world. And it was much more of a mishmash. Whereas Bone is a novel. Yeah. Thorn was like a variety comedy hour, the Sonny and Cher comedy hour. A little bit of story, a little bit of political humor, uh, some just flat out silly jokes. And and it just, it kind of just rolled along. I, I came into it myself. I put myself as a character. I go into the strip. And so it, get, it gets very meta. Yeah. Um, and it, it works in a very, it works in a way. So yeah. uh, I'm very curious to see how people view it. I'm sure it'll help to see it now, knowing that what it became later was actually good. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Do you ever see yourself returning? Oh, oh, oh. oh no, you. No, no. I, I was just remembering some of your other question, but we could go on. No, no. Uh, go I ahead. Didn't... How are you most proud of? Well, your... I mean, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was more ple- I was more proud of how good they were than I thought they were. Yeah. But that has more to do with my memory of it than uh, <laughs> than they really are. I mean, I, I mean, they're readable. They're very readable. They can be pretty silly. They can be very collegey, as in, you know, drinking beer and sex type jokes and stuff like that. But um, it's not it's not too much, and it's it's they were very popular at the time. So I love that. It, people can see it at last. It's fun to have oh, that time capsule. I'll tell you something fun we did though. Okay. Um, It's a real time. My parents, both my mom and dad, moved into independent living uh, about a year ago. And when we were cleaning out the closets and the attic, I found boxes of drawings that my mom had kept that I had done from the time I was five years old. And there was a ton of bone, phone bone <laughs> drawings there, and, and phony bone and smiley bone. They're all in there. And in the attic, I found boxes that I must have stashed there after high school, before I went to Ohio State, in which there are tons of more of the fantasy level uh, kind of storyline and stuff like that. Early primitive stuff and all of it's in the book because it's it's fun to see. Even I had a great time seeing it. So we got to put that in there. And last thing, we found three of these little mini comics that I had done in little tablets, little like, I don't know, maybe like four by two inch little tablet comics, tablet mm-hmm. pads. And in them from first ones when I was like nine through the age of 14, the third one. And the all three cousins are in them. Phone bone, phony bone, smile bone. Their personalities are completely intact. Hmm. The comics adventures are about what you'd expect from a nine-year-old, but 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 the characters are pretty solid. The third one cracks me up. It's called Phone Bone Meets Mel Brooks. Because I <laughs> in 1974, I was 14 years old 
And Mel Brooks did two movies that year, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And it it was a it blew my mind. I mean, it blew my mind more than anything until like Monty Python came out, you know, at, in the late seventies. <laughs> uh, but there, but, but, but we reproduced these three, three mini comics at actual size, just took photos of every page, reproduced them. And in the inside back cover of the hardcover are three pockets and, and a tablet book one, two, and three are in the pockets inside the hardcover. And so if you ordered the soft cover, if you ordered the soft cover through Kickstarter, you will get those three mini comics uh, sent. They won't be in little pockets, but they'll be they will be sent to you with the book. That is fantastic. What a legacy to carry these characters with you since you were five. I heard that when you sat down and talked with Brad and Lisa, my good friends of this show. And I, I've been thinking about that since. How do you feel like this is a very broad question, but having those characters so firmly entrenched in you so early, how do you feel like that affected your other sensibilities as a storyteller? I, I I'm not sure, but except I did discover some weird things while I was making this book. Because I had just recently come across all of this early material that my parents had kept. And I was able to, and I put this in the book, you know, kind of around the story, that I made up these characters when I was five. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was eight or nine, I was drawing little comic stories, complete little stories. They're you know, I'm not. Don't don't worry. They're not going to win any items. <laughs> they're very goofy, and it's like Fumbo goes to a haunted mansion or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I realized that during the early part of my interest in cartooning and making comics, I was under the thrall of funny animals and Sunday and Sunday funnies, like peanuts. Or mm-hmm. comics, cartoons like Bugs Bunny, uh, and then comic books like Donald Duck, Gold Key comics, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, and I, and I could see through the material that I found in my parents' attic. It was somewhere in like middle school. I came under another influence, which was fantasy. Mm-hmm. I was really into like Doc Savage and Conan the Barbarian books, uh, Tarzan. Mm-hmm. But 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 the big but the big experience was Frank Frazetta's covers, yeah, on the paperback Conan books, and you can kind of see some of my drawings, and right? And I I talk about like the you could see the I don't get rid of phone bone, I don't know why. Why didn't I just move on like normal people? But <laughs> instead of moving on, I just decided to. How can I? Okay, I lo- I am now into fantasy. Uh, an important moment was the year, the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. Mm-hmm. It was 1977. I read The Lord of the Rings for the first time. Star Wars came out that summer. And also Heavy Metal came out, hit the newsstands here in America. And all in the summer of 77. And that was it. Done. I I was fully in my mind into comic books 
and comics. That was fantasy comics. That's all I, that's what I was interested in really was. So all of a sudden there are drawings of like scantily kept clad little princesses and foam bone <laughs> in some of these little stories is carrying a sword around. Um, and, and the dragon shows up. He's, he's not a friend or a comrade or the wise dragon. He's just a big monster and rat creatures. There's drawings of rat creatures and, I okay, I didn't stick with that. I didn't stick with the heavy metal kind of fantasy. Um, but those those pieces were so crucial to what would become Bone. Uh, Grandma Ben, uh, the rat creature's thorn, for heaven's sakes. In fact, I called, I started calling the world Bone and started calling the world Thorn for a while. There's even a, a cover or a splash page or something that I inked that's has like written like like an eisner thing written like in the rocks of the of the mountain that they're climbing or thorn <laughs> uh, it's it it's it's really fun to see it's really fun to see absolutely i mean obviously that the magic of bone is that it's both right that it is frank rosetta and it is carl barks right i since we last <laughs> yeah. talked yes <laughs> Since we last talked, I sat down and I read a lot of Karl Barks comics because of how highly you spoke of them. How do you feel like the Sunday strip and that style of comic that might not be as popular with the current um, direct market audience influenced you as a creator? And how, like, what, what value do you think they have for modern audiences? Because I was completely enamored with them. You're talking about, you're talking about like Uncle Scrooge. And Donald yeah, Donald, right? yeah. Uncle Scrooge, Donald yeah, Duck, even... Well they're timeless they're really yeah. timeless uh, because they were never meant to be part of like the 40s or 50s um i mean you know they don't have cell phones and, but in that way they're of a time but they also work so well and i think the reason they work is that the cartoonist carl barks knew how to move your eye through through a page and he could control how long much time you spent on panel he was it was just i mean nobody nobody taught classes on that back then but he knew how to do it he just was instinctive in that way i mean he came from disney's actual studios in the beginning he was doing storyboards and uh was you know was involved in you know some of the early huey dewey and louis cartoons i believe mm -hmm. um yeah, he just he just he just kept it alive in a way very few comic book artists are capable of that. There are there are comic book artists that do it, but most of them it just feels to me when I look at it. I apologize for that beeping noise. It's okay. I keep trying to turn my my text down. I can't seem to do it there. Hopefully that'll do it. Uh yeah, he just really his his characters and the images are alive on those pages. And that's why it works. Do you feel like you can see that in your early work as well? Because I know you won't say it, but Bone is that same way. Like your characters are alive in Bone. I I think regularly early on in the book, the snow all falling at once joke and the stupid, stupid rat creatures on the branch are two comic booking pages that I regularly show people to explain the medium and how to set up paneling. Oh. Wow, nice, thanks. Yeah, they're they're phenomenal. Do you feel like you saw that in your early work as well, or was it something you had to learn? 
Uh, it was, well, I mean, I spent, uh, I mean, I always drew comics private, you know, just for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but then with at, at the at Ohio State, in their, in the Lantern, their paper there, I spent really five days a week for three years doing a daily comic strip, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about timing and spacing and, you know, I learned technical things like how thin of a line can I make on my two times up drawing. And by the time it shrinks 50% and is printed in a, on the rough newsprint, how, what, what will make it through that process? And I learned that. So by the time I did the comic book, I knew a lot of stuff already, but there's a big difference in timing a joke in four panels and that's it for the day. Mm -hmm. And having as many panels as you want. I could take a whole page. I could take six panels. I could take five, four pages of panels and set up a joke. And I found out, I had no idea this would be the case, but I found out that that came very natural to me. I don't know if it was because I read comic books all my life. I don't know what it was, but the very first issue of Bone, I sat down and it was like I I, I don't know I, I don't even know what, how to describe it or but it was like it was like running a race and going through the finish line. It's just like I win. I get it. Look at this. I could I get it completely. I know exactly how to do this. And once I fell into that place, all I wanted to do was learn more. How how do I take this understanding of how pacing of panels works and the placement of the characters and the amount of imagery you put in there, I found that could change the the speed at which you read it mm -hmm. completely. Like, I remember I always would have to check in an issue of Bone. It's The pacing's one thing, but it's all pencil. Mm -hmm. And it's perfect. But as soon as you ink it, things become solid and they stop your eye. And you need to get rid of that, that that big solid thing. It might it might have been a really well drawn tree right there, mm -hmm. but you stop and look at the tree. And I really need you to be going to the next panel because that was a really quick panel. I wanted you to be on move on. So uh, I but I learned that and um, and that that it, it all just came together very quickly. I felt I felt very happy. I was very happy to be in comic books. My dream my entire life was to be uh be peanuts or Doonesbury or pogo i wanted to have a daily newspaper strip and after i had, had success like i said i, I didn't see the there were newspaper articles written about the college strip um i made a book called thorn tales from the lantern that was very successful and, and then I took it to the, and, and like two or three syndicates were very interested at first. Um, when I, when it became clear that I was not going to change it, you know, I wasn't going to get rid of the, they mostly liked the bones and the humor. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get rid of the dragons and the rat creatures and even Thorn. And I, so I, a couple of them dropped out right away and I ended up, I don't remember who the last syndicate standing was, either King Features or, Tribune Media, I don't remember, but 
after a while, it was clear. They just kept getting me to do like two or three weeks worth of strips over and over again for at least two years. And finally, I realized, oh, they're pushing me into something I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. So I, it was really a terrible moment, Dallas. But I mean, for 23-year-old me or whatever I was, I had to go, you know what? I, I believe in foam Barn and I believe in the whole cast. And I think we could do, I believe in me, I believe that we could do something with this, but I have to give up my dream of the daily comic strip. And so I withdrew from the last syndicate and just said, that's not where I'm going. And I didn't know where I was going. Mm -hmm. uh, so for, at that point in, I was, I was no longer doing the lantern. I was, uh hadn't wasn't going to go to ohio state for like five or six years and at that point i the future was completely unclear for the characters i had no idea what i was going to do with them my next question comes out of so i i'm writing novels right now i'm trying really hard to become a novelist and i have found the very fast pace uh it's 10 pages a day no matter what is like the only way i can really get good stuff coming out of me and so was there a big shift going from daily comic strips to having the freedom to take as much time and space as you wanted in the single issue comic book like did that affect your process at all or was it just off to the races now that you had more freedom i i think in a, in a way i think this is the, this is kind of that's what i was thinking about when i was talking about just jumping in instead of being limited to four panels mm -hmm. one of the limitations was the panels are all very small they're mm -hmm. basically the same size very very little you can do you can maybe make one big long strip but you had to use one panel to kind of remind the audience what was happening yesterday yeah then you kind of have to set up some ongoing business and at the same time, have a little joke or a punchline or some kind of zing at the end to make them want to check in tomorrow. And that that underlying path was there every four panels. Mm -hmm. That was now gone. You have to do a little of that for every book. Every issue of the comic book had to have those elements. Remember where you were in the last book, new elements, uh, and then set up a... Uh, some kind of an ending that's going to be dun 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 or some big funny punchline or something like that, something to give it an ending. Mm -hmm. And yes, yes, it was hugely different. I sort of like what I was just saying. I felt this was more this was more like what I was meant to do. I I came to this so much easier than I did to figuring out how to be funny every day. And then just having this big space, it just was natural. It just felt right. And I wasn't, I had to still learn things, but it was so much fun to learn them when it was working. And, you know, and I, I, yeah. I could tell it was funnier and I could, and reaction from readers was, this is great. So, yeah, it's different. And one thing about that, sort of like more tied into the, you're doing 10 pages a day no matter what. Mm -hmm. 
if you just force yourself to do that, sometimes you're just filling space. Yeah. But you know what? A lot of times that stuff turns, you go back and go, oh, that's not bad. I can turn that into something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I really like Neil Gaiman had a class on writing that I took and he talked about like there are days he's like, you're building a wall one brick at a time. He's like those 10 pages, every single word was a struggle. And he's like, and you can never tell what days those were when you go back and read it again. It's like, you can never be like, oh, that was a hard day of writing right there. It's all just, all just writing. And that that's similar to what you said. Oh, go ahead. Well, I I, I just said that's, first of all, if you're going to take a writing class from anybody, Neil's the one to take it from. Because uh, he's just a he's a really good talker about mm-hmm. comics as well. Um, and that's I, I totally agree with that. I've I've never thought about that exactly, but I completely agree with that. I look back on 12 years of Bone, and every issue had multiple moments of agony and pressure of this isn't working. Why is this working? I've been working on this for three days. Yeah. Um but I don't remember it exactly. What I do remember are the pieces that didn't work that made it into print. Mm. There aren't as many of those because you usually figure that you usually, I usually figure out my problems and get them solved and it gets you way behind and your deadline is a rush and it's a, you're tearing your hair out, but you, but you figure it out. But every now and then the deadline comes and there's a moment where you, you have to, you know, the 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 uh, FedEx guy comes and has to rip the paper out of your hands and take it. And I remember those. And even when I reread the book now, I go, oh. oh. Most of those, since I kind of was able to reprint all the Bone books in my own books, and then I got a chance to review them again when I did the one-volume edition. Mm-hmm. Most of that stuff got fixed. Yeah, so it's, I don't have, I, it's, all, it's all okay now. <laughs> I guess For me, that leads, anyway, as a reader. Yeah, that leads me to my next question. I find the editing process the most frustrating of creation, right? Like I love, I love the first draft. I, a lot of people talk about the blank page as being terrifying. I love it. Like I just get to go and hang out and write and do interesting things. But oftentimes, like third, fourth draft of like, all right, I need this beat, this mystery, this clue to be just right. And like, it's got to be perfect. That's when I feel the most, the closest thing to writer's block. The most like, I have no idea what to do. That's where I start to feel the pressure. What does your editing process look like? Is there a particular part of the process that's most difficult for you? Well, first of all, I agree with the concept of that blank page. I do agree. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and since my stuff was always serial in a way, you know, uh, ongoing, I always had a starting place because that's where the last book was. Mm-hmm. So I start there and I kind of decide how far am I going to go? What's what's my goal? Where am I trying to get to to get to leave people for the next issue? And um, then you got to fill in the bit. And boy, you can get, it can get messy, especially when you've got you know, I had, I had like five or six main characters. I had the three bones. I had grandma. I had Thorn. What's the red dragon doing? You know, uh, what's the what are the bad guys doing? There's the rat creatures. There's the hooded one. 
Mm-hmm. There's the overall plot of the Lord of the Locust who's over the whole thing. And the dragon who's kind of over the whole thing too. Mm-hmm. So when you get it would when I would get complicated, what it usually was for me was there were so many characters involved that I would work out. I can get to that point and it feels organic. It doesn't feel like I just had to stick it in there because you don't want that. And I know that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, you've got to come across this clue or this beat. Yes. It has to, has to feel like, whoa, we just came across this beat and it's exactly what should happen right there. The problem is, is with a lot of times I would find when I did that, and I'd be like, this is it, this is perfect. And like the next day, I'd be like, fuck, I completely forgot about what phony bun was doing. And that completely messes this up. That's not going to work because he's going to come right in and it blows up. What I have to, yeah, damn it, I have to start over and weave phony bun in there Mm -hmm. Um, or whatever, whatever it happened to be, you know, whichever character was roaming around and was a, an important part of getting through this next beat. So that was the thing. And it could be quite distressing. I mean, I mean, tearing your hair out uh, maniacally, yeah. it could be really bad. I'm glad, I'm glad there's no real time video of, of <laughs> those 12 years of doing bone. <laughs> yeah. Because, because it's worth it. You, you do figure it out. It, and I'll tell you what, I, I was I was about halfway through it when I heard, gosh, I better remember who said this. I, I don't remember. I don't remember who said it was a writer. If I remember it, I'll say it. But I, I remember the advice. Mm-hmm. He says, somebody asked me about writer's block. And he was like, forget it, writer's block. If you're having a problem, if you're stuck, what you need to do is just go backwards to where and to where it was last working, and then throw everything after that away, then kind of you know go back and start that chapter or reader up to that point where it's working and start over right from right where it was last working. You just got lost for a second. That that is true. That turned out to be true. It doesn't necessarily sound like it would be true, but no. it turned out to be completely true. And I never had writer's block again. I, I mean, that. I've had trouble again. Yeah, but I never, I never was completely, you know, at a loss. Yeah, I love that. I lo- I love the point about like, oh, phony bone's gonna mess all this up. The one that always trips me up is I'm like, I know this whole mystery. Like this clue seems so obvious to me. I hope this doesn't seem obvious to everybody else. You know. <laughs> I like sprinkle in. I'm like, oh, there's a footprint in the sand there. And I'm like, that just gave it away for everybody. And I just have to remind myself, like, it's never given it away for you in anyone else's books, Dallas. But it's fun to hear that someone I consider yeah. a master also looks at no, the page and goes, uh, ah. it, it does require, it does require skill. Yes. Yeah. It, no, no. It, it requires, it requires skill to, to logically put these steps in and make them as obvious or as, subtle as as you needed to be it does take some skill but you learn that you have to learn how to do that and you do know if it works or not if you've got any talent yeah you do know you do have to go 
man, that does not work. Yeah. I have to fix that. So yeah. There's nothing nothing worse than seeing like a big piece that you're like, oh, I gotta fix that. Uh rats. Yeah. Okay. I remember the worst piece I had in olive bone, and I never really fixed it to my complete satisfaction. But it was it was really the turning point at the end of the first trilogy. Like I you know, it was like three, it was I had like three parts to bone. Mm-hmm. And the end part was Grandma Ben admitting that she was really the queen of the valley and had to escape with her granddaughter, Thorn. Mm-hmm. And Thorn was really the heir apparent to the valley. You know, it's a fairy tale stuff. But it had to come out. It had to come out right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, I didn't, it did not come out right in the comic books originally. And I, I redid it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I finally, I finally just, thought that what was in the one volume edition i could live with that mm-hmm. but man people's reactions to when it was in the comic book ooh, 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 it was bad <laughs> everybody was like what the fuck what did, what did she's a gra- grandma's a queen what i mean i did not do it right yeah so i did and and i knew i knew it was kind of not quite right but i just ran out of time yeah but uh anyway i it's better now. It's better yeah. now. It's yeah. readable. Anyway. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Jeff. Do you have anything left that you want to make sure the people know before they go and pick up Thorn? Well, the the, the Kickstarter is over. And if you mm-hmm. miss it, there I've got good news for you. The um they have something called a pledge master, which I'm going to Make sure it's up. Where would I go for that? Well, I can't find it. But uh, basically, uh, Pledge Master, if you go to my website, boneville.com, mm-hmm. on there you'll find a link to the Pledge Master for the Thorn Kickstarter. Email in there and sign up. And when he goes live, which should be in within within a week or two, uh, you will able. You are still able to buy a, a copy of the book. You know, still able to get that book. So I just wanted to let people know that in case you wanted to still to get that. And the hardcover with the three pockets at the back and stuff is only available through Kickstarter. And once the Pled Master's done, that will you'll only be able to get the soft cover. And once it's once it's in the stores, it won't come with the uh, soft cover, the little mini comics I was talking about. That's only through Kickstarter. So if you yeah. didn't do it and you want to change your mind, you've got Pledge Master. Go to Boneville.com. Yeah, that's that's huge news. Yeah. I absolutely I love backing your Kickstarters. There's so much love in them. I the first one I did was with Tukey. And yeah. like everything that you added on, sometimes the stretch goals are like, yippee, but like yours are always interesting, always fun. Like, I love being a part of your Kickstarters. So did you see the Kickstarters on this one? I did. Yeah, they're awesome. I'm, I kickstarted this, so I, oh, I'm excited to get my goodies. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you, Dara. Absolutely. And, yeah. Hold on, picture. <laughs> <laughs> That was Tom. Tom got put that together. Was, he, he's like, I was like, dude, who's going to care? It's not, it's not like it's Mickey Mouse. He goes, people are going to love it. And we and do. It, it is really fun. So 
he was right. Well, All right, good. Great. <laughs> well, thank you, Dallas. It's wonderful talking to you, as always. Absolutely. You have a wonderful day and a wonderful holiday season. All right, brother. All See right. you later. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.